welcome back to Fight Capital, where we step into the ring of combat sports business. I'm your host, Ryan Rappaport. Today, I'm joined by Jose Shorty Torres. Torres is a freshly crowned Brave CF Bantamweight champion, achieving that title after a heart-pounding match in Bogota, Colombia three weeks ago. But his story isn't just about MMA victories. Jose has a rich history in the sport from his earlier days in Titan FC to a stint in the UFC. But beyond the cage, he's a staunch supporter of amateur MMA and has established the Team Shorty Foundation, dedicating himself to keeping kids off the streets and inside the gym. I'm thrilled to discuss his journey, recent victories, and contributions to the community today. Jose, it's an honor to have you. How are you feeling? Where are you joining from? What's up, man? I appreciate it. I'm actually finally back home. Chicago got back yesterday, and I I think since my fight in Bogota, Colombia, August 12th, I've been home a total of five days. So I've been everywhere, so I'm able to relax. I'm actually on another trip tomorrow, so I'm able to relax for a day and a half. Um, so I'm just happy I have the time to talk to you and just get a little break uh, from the world. Yeah, I know. Appreciate it. And your your story is so awesome. I'm really happy to have you on. And you and I were talking right before we got started about the wrestling accolades and how you came to know Curtis Blades. But I'd love to just learn a little bit more about your history in wrestling. I know you had over 100 wins and you were recognized in 100 wins going into your collegiate level and then uh, recognition as a junior college athletic athlete of the year in 2012. Uh, How has your life been impacted by your combat sports journey inside and outside of the ring? Man, you know, it's crazy because I don't really think about it too much because I've been doing sports and if not martial arts, I was four years old. I was always a three like season sporter from football, baseball, basketball, all these different things as a kid. I joined wrestling when I was 14, but I started karate when I was four and that was my first sport. So I've always been in martial arts all year round. And then something was always, you know, coinciding with the baseball, you know, wrestling, eventually basketball, all these different sports. And, um, so I learned a lot of camaraderie growing up, and because I was a smaller guy, I always relied on a team. Yeah, cool, karate, I got to do it individually, sort of, but um, when it came to practice, I always had a team with me, so my whole life was based on camaraderie. So when it ended up being in football, especially in football, it's like, man, I'm the small guy, I need help. I'm the small guy, I need to you know, do certain things to get the job done, and eventually when wrestling came into play and um, you know, I started doing MMA as a whole... I slowly started to get bigger and bigger, you know, as puberty hit, I finally caught up to everyone when it came to at least, you know, my weight classes. And I was just like, man, I'm actually a lot better than most people, but it wasn't because of natural talent. I grew up losing. I just grew learning how to be coachable. And I think that was the biggest thing that, that made me different from not just my family, but a lot of people in this neighborhood, a lot of people grew up, I wouldn't say normal, but, um, just overall doing their thing normally or talented in their own way and, you know, a normal height, if you want to say. But for me, I always needed help. I always asked for help. I always was coachable and needed this, needed that. So when it came to even just life choices, I think because of sports, it gave me that advice of, um, you know, I could swallow my pride, swallow my ego, and maybe I should go left instead of right. Even though I want to go right, left is the better choice. And everyone else in my sport, not just in the streets, but in my sport is telling me left is the right choice, then I'm going to do it. And it's obviously for a reason. And, and I just listened. I was coachable. And that's what made me the the man I am today. Well, I, I know you've hit adversity throughout your career. And that's probably one of the reasons you continue to rise above it. I mean, hitting those walls and those challenges, I always feel like are what makes people who they are today. And, you know, congrats on the win. First of all, I didn't think I said that those judo throws that you were hip tossing him in there were beautiful. 
Uh, but you know, afterwards you, you said something that really stuck with me and you said, I've hit rock bottom in life and now I'm back up at top again. I'm so grateful. And you could really just kind of feel the real rawness and humility there. Can you elaborate just a little bit on what hitting rock bottom meant for you and how you faced that adversity? For me, I always tell people and a lot, a lot don't ask about the details, but my biggest three, three things that I wanted in my life were all in a sense taken away from me, whether it was my fault or uncontrollably. Um, you know, see, I was working my whole life for it. You know, by the time I was born, the UFC was already slowly coming up and then established in 2000s when I'm a teenager. And then in the 2010s when I turned amateur, I'm like, man, this is where I want to be. And eventually once I create all these accolades and I have everyone hype me up, but the UFC just didn't care. Now that wasn't my fault. It was more of, I'm being signed to a dying division. You think about it, they ended up trading the, the best champion in UFC's history over to 1FC, going, ah, take him. We'll take Ben Askren, the guy who's already past his prime, and we're just going to have these celebrity deathmatch fights because they're going to be fun to watch. And um, by the time I got signed, I got, like, I wouldn't say demasculated, but demoralized. And because of that, I ended up being demasculated and just like, oh, I'm not, I, it made me feel I'm not as good as, as what people are saying or even what I believe. Then I'm cut. Then in that process, I'm having, I was engaged with someone and, and together with somebody for seven years. So I'm thinking I'm spending the rest of my life with somebody. And that's slowly going downhill. Why I just got cut from the UFC. Slowly, my father's health is kind of giving way. And I knew he was always unhealthy. I just didn't know to a certain extent, you know, one day he just passes away out of nowhere. And, you know, for me, I didn't have the father that I wanted and needed in my childhood. You know, like I grew up wanting to fight my father. That was the reason why I started martial arts. I wanted to beat up bad guys. And to me, my father, even though I loved him and, and cherished him and wanted to play with him, he was the bad guy because of all the stuff he did to me, my mother, and my brother in, in our family. So just like, all right, I want to do this. And then by the time, maybe when I turned pro, him and I started to get along very well. I kind of forgave him, you know, personally for a lot of things. I was like, oh, let me have a relationship with him before he's gone. And was able to do that. And it honestly ended up being my best friend for, you know, maybe about five years. And I was like, man, you are like the, the sitcom father that every kid wants growing up. I'm like, man, this is, you know, phenomenal. And uh, then eventually one day he's gone. And it also, things happen for a reason. Obviously, it did teach me a lot. But I'm like, man, now I'm alone. Like, this was, I did the sport because of my father. And then also my father was my best friend. So it's like, who was I going to talk to? You know, I was like, oh, dad, oh, yeah, I can't talk to you about this because it's about you, you know, so that happened. And then at the end of it, the cherry on top, I lose my engagement. And it's like, hey, I think it's, you know, time for me to go. And I was like, yeah, I think it's time for us to split up because I'm not changing as a person and my life is going slowly more downhill and I'm more taking it out on somebody instead of venting to somebody or leaning on someone. So it's like, and I, I guess that's also the, uh, the, the bad thing, right? It's like you're, you're, you're your life partner kind of realizes the darker side of you, but it's how you react to that darker side and how much you bring out. We'll see how they react to it. And I ended up taking it out instead of venting and leaning on. I'm just like, oh man, I'm, <laughs> wow, it was me the entire time. And so, and my bad. And so it took me a few years to really kind of pick myself back up because it's like, all right, cool. This is taken away. I still have two out of three. Oh, damn, this is taken away. Okay, well, I still kind of semi got this. Oh, it's all gone damn, what do I really have to live for? They always say when you get up, you have to get up with a purpose because going through the day, it just it's no fun. There's no goal. There's no whatever. You're just kind of like, ah, all right, cool. You know, compared to there's something to strive for. And for me, I had nothing to strive for, but I wasn't going to be that guy and be like, you know what, man, I'm going to take it out. And, and when I take myself out now, 
technically I give all my baggage to everybody else and I'm not going to do that. You know, my mother doesn't need that. My brother need that. And, and another, neither do my, my closest friends. So I was like, you know what? Let me just do whatever I got to do and try. Let me get out of the house. Let me get out of this dark ass room and let me get up and see what the hell happens. And, uh, that's all it was. It wasn't to get up and be a world champion again. It was just to get up and try and see what happens. In my head at the time, again, you think about it later on logically, but emotionally, I was like, well, the love of my life is gone. What else do I have? Well, let me get out there and there's more fish in the sea. Obviously, I found her, so there might be more, you know, and, I, and later on, it's like she moved on. Well, if she can move on, then I can move on. Same thing with my father. It's like, I'm not the only one that had a father pass away on them. All right, cool. Let me push through. Let me, instead of giving up on the sport, I started the, the, the sport for, like for him, let me continue a legacy. My father loved fighting. So me quitting would kind of be a backhanded slap to him. No, man, let me, let me push on through and, and logically see things through. And then when it came to the UFC, yeah, I was already signed to Brave. But in my head at the time, you know, I'm signed to a new promotion that's still very, very new. You don't know where things are going to go. And in my head, I'm like, well, this is what everyone's talking about, especially in the States, where I only lose one. So it wasn't like, you know, my career is going bad. Somebody, you know, all these people are like, dude, it's okay. We can't wait to see you back in the UFC or no matter how many wins I got in Brave. Everyone's, I want to see you back in the UFC. What, what's going to happen? And I'm like, shut the hell up you know like let me live my life and stop bringing this back in there but now it's like you know i i want promotions to beg for me i'm happy where i'm at i get paid more and respected more where i'm at i actually found a different and better opportunity than what i originally thought was you know the pedestal of the sport and honestly i use this pedestal to get more money and more respect from other things you know so it's like I'm perfectly fine with that so when you started to look at or for me when i started to look at the other side the other spectrum of things i'm like okay, let's breathe. Let's figure things out. No, it, it sucks. I might not have plan A, but that doesn't mean plan B can't be better. I just kind of, you know, belittled plan B. And the little you know, plan B was actually a lot better for me. So for me, you know, it's like now I want to live. Now I am happy. Now I'm more at peace when things go wrong and I can better handle situations logically instead of emotionally. And when you hit rock bottom, you have no choice but to be hungry. You know, like, I I put it on my story a couple of days ago. I was like, dude, I'm traveling a lot. I'm doing more than ever. I am real, like ridiculously tired, but I rather have a full plate than nothing on it. And that's the biggest thing. I hit rock bottom and now look where I'm at. I'm at the top of the world where people want me. They need me to do this, do that. And for me, especially because I'm such a big extrovert, it's like, this is awesome. It's just also a lot. But in that process, I've learned how to take care of myself peacefully, respectfully, um, realistically. And I think as logically as possible instead of like emotionally I'm tired, I'm cranky, I'm hangry, this, that, whatever. So I'm I'm doing more than ever and I'm I'm enjoying it as long as I can until another rock bottom hits and then I gotta do the same thing again to get back up, if not even uh, adapt to it. That's beautiful, man. I, I've been not uh, not under those same circumstances and just to see you come from that, but definitely have been in those dark places. And one of the things I don't shy away from on the podcast is talking about that, because I think it is such an essential part to a career of a combat sports athlete, but also anyone, you know, and I think a lot of people feel the authenticity from the athletes and all the things that come from that. So, you know, thank you for sharing that because that is a deep moment and not talking about that's not easy, right? But, you know, the fact that you've overcome that, I think it'll be an example across everyone for what is what is possible. And can you just talk a little bit about that growth? Because I know you've been at other camps, right? And you've been traveling around. Um, I know you were at American Top Team for a bit. And how's that training there been instrumental in this growth in your evolution as a fighter? 
Um, man, I've been at a lot of gyms right now. I'm at Extreme Couture, uh, KH KMMA. I haven't been to American Top Team. I think I was there 2018 to give or take 2020. Um, American Top Team was probably the only gym that kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth. Um, it's just the politics there. I think it's almost it's almost not their fault, but it's a product of what they were able to do. If that makes sense, it's like there's such a popular gym that it's become so big and so wanted, which is amazing. Any any gym owner would love that. The only flaw with that is you have ten high level guys, coaches on the floor, but you have a hundred people sparring. No matter what level they are, it's like damn. This is going to be really hard to divide up so everyone gets a decent amount of even attention, you know? So, and then when, let's say at the time, let's say Dustin Poirier fights, it's like, man, he probably took five of those coaches and now you have five left with 99 guys. So it became very, very difficult. So for me, I, I was part of that outside group. And I'm also, another reason why the UFC never really liked me is when I see things, I'm very outspoken. If it's about me, okay, hey, man, let's go in the back room. Let's figure this out. Let's talk, which I had plenty of conversations, you know, with, um, the American top team coaches and stuff like that. But when it comes to, Hey, it's not just me, but you're also treating everyone else really bad. Or I just got here and I'm getting everything, but these guys have been here for two years and haven't even seen what I've gotten. I'm not a huge fan of it. You know, especially when these guys are working hard or these guys are pretty much at the same level. I just so happen to be more popular. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't like that. It's never been my thing. Again, I'm more the boxer guy, the Manny Pacquiao where it's like, I want to fight the next guy in line. I don't want to fight the most popular. I'm going to get money regardless. I'm happy with the money I get. Yeah. Maybe I might make more with the popular guy and it might be an easier fight, but no, I want to, I want to show my legacy. I don't want to say I beat Logan Paul or Jake Paul in an MMA fight. To me, it doesn't do anything. So it looks cool. Maybe it brings up, you know, so when it comes to that with the American top team, it, it was very hard and very political. So I left with Dean Thomas, Jillian Robertson, and, you know, we ended up having some stragglers come with us to train. And uh, it was a good time, man. I think Dean Thomas was probably the one of, if not the best coach out of my career, besides my head coach, Master Bob Shermer, because one, I think he's a a youthful version of him, but also a different sight, a more um, I wouldn't say day and age, but just just a different perspective. They they don't just tell you what to do; they tell you why, the philosophy behind it, and the reasoning behind why you should do some of these things. And then also, not just that, but living a life. You know, it's like a lot of the things I'm or that he would tell us is like a lot of the things I'm going to tell you right now doesn't just deal with what you do inside the cage or what you do in practice. It's what you do outside your life as well. The same philosophy should deal with it all. And I'm just like, we would, he would say stuff talking about a certain position and we would make jokes because it always sounded like a philosophy class. We're like, damn, that's some real stuff right there. Like that's, that's good. You know, like we would make jokes and he's like, shut up, but you're right. All right. So then he was like, <laughs> stuff, you know, so when it came to that, and, and it's funny because we would always, uh, we would always mess around. Like it was a very stereotypical house. Like we had, David Evans, which was like the light-skinned Drake, you know, he was just like, you'll start singing in the shower and doing high-pitched stuff, but he was like the best-looking stoic guy, and then he would be super sensitive in the back. You had Jillian Robertson, who was like Eminem, who was like the white person, who kind of grew up not not poor, but somewhat middle class, but somewhat well, but she would act hood, and it's just like, okay. And then you had me, the stereotypical Latino that was like, you're going to use that box. I'm like keeping everything for Tupperware. I'm washing dishes and stuff. I'm not even washing dishes with soap. I'm like putting extra water in the soap thing to have more soap. Um, and you had Dean Thomas, like the dark skinned guy. He was like Debo. He's like, damn, it's a nice bike. I guess I got a new bike. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, like he was that guy. But we would all also call him like the stereotypical, like black sitcom father. Like he was 
or Carl Winslow. Like he'd come in somehow he would see us upset, not even know what we were upset about, say this gem of a line that would somehow relate to everything we were all like troubled, like troubled with. And then he would walk away. Wouldn't even explain anything. Like he would say something deep. I can't even think of something. He would say something deep and he's like, all right, see you later. And just go. And we're like, what the hell was that? But that was perfect, you know? And then he would just walk away. You're like, I don't know why, but I feel so much better because you're just like, damn, my, my mind is blown. So I think Dean Thomas coming out of American Top Team, that was probably my biggest gain from that. I mean, the bodies at that gym were phenomenal. You know, Pedro Munoz, uh, Burrell, you know, that was kind of leaving his prime for Miga. Um, all these different guys that I got to train with and, and friends that I'm still with friends today. And then eventually meeting Dean and having a relationship with him and kind of growing as a coach. Like, even though he's uh, so busy with the UFC now, like he'll still give me gems here and there and just moral support. And, and that honestly means the world to me. And uh, I, I look, I do look at him as like a father figure. So um, Dean was probably my best thing at American top team. And then going to extreme couture where I'm at now, the body is there. I think it was the opposite of American top team. American Top Team, it was so big, it was like a high school. It was like you have your posses, you know, you have your Brazilians, you have your Russians, you have the outcasts, you have the amateurs, you have these random guys that we don't know why they're still here, but they're here, and just random stuff. At, at Extreme Couture, everyone still comes in very individually, but they also know that not all the coaches are paid on staff like American Top Team. Like, they make money per the year no matter what. At Extreme Couture and at most gyms, they don't. They they kind of make money on personals. Like, yeah, they make money teaching classes, but they want to kind of um, get a student and the student will eventually pay them for personals, whether it's pattern work, jiu-jitsu class, whatever. And so these fighters come in knowing that they need support and some of them can't afford all these coaches. So they go, man, I need, hey, Patchy Mix, you want to, you're really good at jiu-jitsu and I'm really good and you're like my opponent. I'm like your opponent. Can we work? And then you become really good friends because there's a lot of good camaraderie. And then his camaraderie goes with your camaraderie and now it's it's both your teams together. And so it's, it becomes a nice little group. Like when I go back, I work with Patchy Mix and all of his guys. I work with so many others and it's just like, damn, I'm working with high-level guys, and, and everyone is super cool about it. If we end up fighting, we end up fighting. And I think they also have the benefit of being such a high-level gym. They're so close to the UFC apex that, you know, it's Vegas. So, so many people come inside and out where, um, like, for example, Amir Abazi is my former opponent. He's number one, I believe, in the UFC behind – or number two behind uh, Brandon Moreno and uh, Pantoja. And I, you know, I'm, a, I'm his only loss. And I saw him at the gym and he said, hey, brother, you want to train this, that? I don't see him often, but it's like, yes, I would love to train because you were tough as hell and you're also up there. And because you're up there, it makes me get, you know, get better. So let's, you know, let's work together. I know my former opponent, the guy who beat me, Alex Perez goes every once in a while. And if I see him, it's like, dude, you want to grab some work? Hell yeah, because you beat me. Obviously, one, it might be a little ego thing, but two, it's like, it's going to make me better. The person who beat me, if I don't learn from them, then I'm probably always going to lose by them. So let me swallow my ego and get better every single day because it's just practice. It doesn't matter. So um, the camaraderie at Extreme Couture has been really, really cool. I really have uh, enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just a good time. Plus, it's Vegas. Why not? But, um, going in there and being in that environment of, of uh, American Top Team, there you just can't get that level everywhere but i can also not getting that personal attention not being able to develop your skills i can see that as a big difference and i'm a huge fan of what eric is doing over extreme culture I and mean, you can just see it in the people that are coming through there and I, it's funny because i see a lot of florida people that cycle back through there i know chris curtis is another guy who's been down in the florida area so 
obviously speaks to what's going on out there in the in the fight culture in uh, Las Vegas for sure. And yeah, it's it's Las Vegas. Being there and being next to the the fun, I can't imagine being too bad as well. But the other thing too, um, really love Dean and his commentary. It's very cool that you get to get involved in that level of intelligence. He always you know, on the UFC broadcast brings in super amount of value. I'm just glad that you get to be a part of that and get that growth outside of you know one of the larger less uh personal teams and you, you always hear about att but it's usually the bigger people who have been there for a while and have already gotten the 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 value from that well, outside of the ring i know you're not just an athlete and a fighter you're a great commentator the first time i heard you commentate was a uh, titan fc and uh you did a really really amazing job with my buddy alex nicholson who uh, said a what's up by the way because i know you were just in, in Serbia with him as well but he, uh, one of the things I thought you did so good was talking about his story and you just presented it so well. Cause you know, anyone who doesn't know, you know, he's had a crazy story and the fact that he survived that and the way you delivered it was beautiful. So I'm a huge fan of your commentary, but can you talk a little bit, just a little bit about how the team shorty foundation started and what you have going on there and kind of what your purpose is there too? Yeah, thank you. And that that day, I remember talking about the, you know, Alex, he does have a pretty deep story. I know his background to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, he's just a cool guy. So I have to give him that respect as well. But another guy I want to give a huge shout out to as well is uh, Trevor Whitman. So Trevor Whitman helped me a little bit because I would always say I'm, I'm a little Justin Gaethje. And so he would always mess around with me anytime I was in Colorado, we'd do some personal work. And him and Dean are so alike but they have just the smallest little differences that obviously put them apart. And Trevor's just so positive and so motivational. Somehow he'll get you to run, you know, a mile in three minutes. Like that's his mindset. Like somehow he'll get you going. Like something possibly factually you can't do. Like he'll convince you to jump off a building and and you could fly. Like somehow he will do it. If he was a car salesman, I would be broke. Like he would buy, he would make you buy everything because somehow he'd be like, yes, you could afford all these things. And then just make, he'd make some up and you're like, yeah. Yeah, like I'm, I'm gonna do it. So, Trevor Whitman, when he started with the UFC, when it came to that, um, the in between, in between round fight analysis type of guy, he knew because of his company Onyx and how he was training. He's like, man, I can't really focus on my guys. Plus, make all this gear for my company at the same time. And he messaged me and was like, question, I respect you. Do you have any person in mind? I go, well, I know Dean Thompson is already close to Dana White and Matt Sarah and all these guys in the company having his own little shows. I was like, personally, I think Dean is phenomenal. And I'm surprised because he, he's never really met Dean up to that point. Like they've had small conversations. That's about it. I was like, he's very logical. He breaks down things into very simple perspective. That I think even the most newest of uh, martial artists can you know make sense of. And then I guess, I wouldn't say he passed him the job. I was like, all right, yeah, I'll make that recommendation. And then I, I'm not saying I got him the job, but I'm, you know, I ended up putting those little two cents in there. And then he got the job. The first day Dean did the UFC analyst job um, for Trevor Whitman, he goes, I love him. He is phenomenal. Thank you. He literally was much better than I can even expect. And I think he's better than me. I was like, oh, I don't know. I wouldn't say that. He just has a different style and it just worked out well. And I think Dean does a, such a phenomenal job and he works extremely hard at what he does, especially behind the scenes mentally when it comes to camera work, acting, this, that, and then trying to be as, as informative as possible. So shout out to both Trevor and Dean. They're both phenomenal coaches and just the, the way they speak to their athletes. There's a reason why they're very successful at what they do, not just as coaches, but people. But for me and my foundation... Looking back at both those gentlemen, they give so much free time 
to myself and so many athletes that it's like they want to help they enjoy helping they're not looking for money if money comes to them awesome like they're not going to say no if you came to them like hey man you deserve this like yeah okay cool thank you like they're not going to say no but they're gonna be like they're never gonna be like hey you owe me money hey i need this before i start to work with you they want to work with people and um when it came to my foundation, when I first started, no one wants to work with you when you first start. No one believes in you. Everyone's just like, oh, yeah, cool. Good luck. But no, you need to pay this, pay that. And I'm like, dude, I still have the same gear for the first five years of my amateur career. Like I'm punching people with my knuckle and some small little wrap around it. Like I don't have anything. I'm taping up my gear every single day. And um, I didn't have any money. So luckily, when I had to go to Vegas for nationals and go to different places for worlds, I had to find sponsors. Luckily, I knew how to promote myself to where people enjoyed me, people wanted to support me, and they would, you know, sponsor me. And then obviously I had to work some type of sponsorship deal instead of just asking for donations. And given I had fighters donate to me, which I never expected, like my first, the first time I went to nationals, I needed 500 for my plane ticket. And I'm in college, man, I'm, I'm not making any money. I have a full ride too, so there's also no reason for me to work. And Joshua Sampo just uh, won his UFC debut, but because he didn't make weight, he couldn't get his like fight at night bonus and all that stuff. It was really bad. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. But he was like, hey, man, you need 500? Like, I'll sponsor you. You know, you've been helping me for my camp. You helped me for this fight, all that stuff. You do it for free. Um, I got you. This would be like my, my paid service for you. I was like, um, thank you. Like, hell yeah, I, I appreciate it. Like, if anything, people bought me was like, lunch so i'm just like this is amazing plus lunch hell yeah so he <laughs> we went out did that and like because of that i was able to win nationals and then slowly down the line i, I you know earned more money to go to worlds won that then the next year i did it again you know so that was that trickle down effect like i don't know if you remember the power ranger um the green power ranger just did frank tommy oliver he ended up sponsoring me and because of him i got to go to czech republic and win you know tournament out there and it's like man, these people that I never knew that would sponsor me, obviously idols of mine would do this stuff and they're like real life heroes. So with me looking back at it, I was like, man, if it weren't for these people to give me that opportunity, all of this later in my life that I've been able to achieve now never would have happened. Like I never would have got signed to KHK originally because uh, they signed no Americans. I was literally one of the only Americans because I was the first and only two-time world champ. If I didn't get any of this in the beginning, there wouldn't have been a possibility to fight at Worlds. You know, nevertheless, become that two-time world champ. So it's like, it kept me out of the streets and inside the gym. So I was like, you know what, man? I, I love Manny Pacquiao. He has his own foundation where he gives back to athletes, gives back to, gives back to his community in the Philippines. So it's like, I want to do the same thing, but I want to sponsor good people. You know, I believe I'm a good person, or at least I would hope so. So... With that, I've been my fair share of asshole sometimes, but you know, I've, I've, I'm a good person. So with that being said, it's like, I want to sponsor good people. And in my process, it might be a little biased, but I sponsor people that I see and that I believe are genuinely good people that go, hey, I'm helping people out for free or helping kids out in class or I'm doing this and doing that. And this is just my way of paying it forward. It's like you're getting paid for those hours without really knowing it. You know, I was like, here, you helped all these kids for, you know, for two months, here's 500 bucks, go to this tournament that you want to do. So I'm sponsoring people who want to go to, um, you know, maybe go to gyms, go to um, uh, different fighting events. Like I, I remember my, one of the very first kids I sponsored was actually three kids um, that went to my high school. They wanted to go to a wrestling um, clinic in Iowa. When I was a kid, I couldn't do the wrestling clinic. My parents couldn't afford it. Nevertheless, they really care about wrestling. They never went to any of my wrestling stuff. I think out of my 100 plus or out of my four years of wrestling and all the home meets that I had, they probably went to like two. 
you know? So like I had my coaches walk me out for senior night, you know? So that's how much my family wasn't really involved in, in wrestling. So when I saw these kids want to go for this tournament or for this clinic, I'm like, Oh, it's 300 each. Damn. You all can't do it. I, I know you kids like one, you're all really committed and two, you're smart. Like you do a lot of stuff. You get good grades. You know what, man? So I sponsor all kids for dollars. They got to go to Iowa and have a good time. Whether they learned and, and experienced new stuff from it. Awesome. Whether they, they partied and did dumb stuff. Hey, did, good for you. You got to have a good time too. But the fact is, I'm not trying to get kids into martial arts so they can be fighters. I'm getting kids into martial arts so they can stay off the streets because we already know sometimes you just meet the wrong people, or at least in Chicago, there's drive-bys that happen and kids get shot for no reason, or people are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But then two, I got put in front of really positive people that not just kept me inside the gym, but also forced me to go to college, forced me to go to get jobs, forced me to do these things and work hard. You know, and I got to meet some really amazing people out of martial arts. So it might, you know, take you to be a professional MMA fighter like me, or it might make you one day the manager of your job or make maybe own your own company or actually have you strive for more than what you even expect you can be. I mean, I wrote a letter to myself when I was in seventh or when I was in eighth grade going to high school, kind of like a future letter. And I read it now and I'm like, dude, I was a little shit when I was a kid. I would beat me up, you know, but I'm reading it like, damn, I never expected to make it this far in my life. Reading it, I'm like, I definitely should have been picked on. But you know, I made it so far. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So it, but if I would have had that knowledge when I was a kid, like if I would have had that, you know, expertise of, of people helping me inside the gym earlier, maybe just maybe I would be a little bit farther in my life. So, um, real quick, I know I'm taking up a lot of the time. There was a kid in Peru that I met through a mutual friend. And, and usually I only sponsor people that I've met because that's, I know physically that they're good people. But I, I took a, you know, some advice. I was like, you know what, man? Sounds like a good kid. Why not? I sponsored him for two fights as an amateur. Then his first two fights as a pro. And there was the fight in Colombia that I had in Bogota, you know, a month ago. And, and I was like, you know what? This kid's from Peru. It's the country right next door. Let's get him on the card. And they're like, well, we're partnered with the other promotion there. We'll get him on. But they don't want to pay for his flight. They're going to just hire all the Colombian guys. It's just too much money for them. I was like, well, how much is the flight? I'll buy his flight. So and they're like, okay, well, if you buy his flight and he stays with you, um, then we'll get him on the card. I was like, okay, you know, like I don't want to, <laughs> but uh, yeah, sure, why not? Like it's got a huge opportunity for this kid, and so bring him in. He's there in Bogota with me for two weeks. It's me, Eduardo Moro, who fought on the card because he lives there from Bogota, and it was, we're all just training for two weeks. And he loves the camaraderie. Like he's like, I'm so used to training by myself. This is different. We're having a good time. I'm teaching him the weight cut, how to be a professional. And I know he looks up to me, so I'm trying to big brother him. And, you know, I, I coach him in the fight, do all these things. But before the fight happens, um, weigh-in day, I it's not even me, but I take my family out for, like, a weigh-in dinner because I want them to enjoy the food of the country. Me, I travel a lot. I don't even care. Like, I'd rather be by myself because I'm going to have a long day tomorrow. But um, I take my family out, and we go to this, like, Italian, which is crazy in Colombia, but we go to this, like, Italian family-style place where it's just – big table, bunch of different plates and everyone, you know, spoons out whatever they want. And before we do that, you know, Edgar's looking at the menu and he's from a village in Peru. Like he's not from, you know, the inner city or, you know, he's dude, he's from the village. There's a very big difference. We're very privileged. Like I'm from the South side of Chicago. I'm from the hood. He's from a damn village where if somebody gets hurt and needs to go to the hospital, it's probably three hours away. You know, like it, this is different. So I'm, you know, I'm reading the menu. I'm like, damn, what do I want? Or what do I want to get these guys? And he's looking at it and like looking at me because the price is right next to everything. And he's looking at it and he's like, 
and he looks at my cousin he goes i don't know what to order like i feel embarrassed i'm like what do you mean you feel embarrassed like you haven't had this food before he goes no for sure i have not had this food before but it's 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 one he sees the price so he goes it's too expensive and then two i'd feel bad if i bought it because of how expensive it is because i know i'm not the one paying for it i know shorty is and my cousin who coincidentally is also named edgar um he's just like dude he, this is a privilege like trust me like you enjoy it and so i was like you know what no one kind of knew because they were all so nervous i was like let me just order family style got everything for everybody so everyone brings you know, all this food and everyone's like oh my gosh and he's looking at the food like he looked at me he goes i've never seen so much food before in my life and i was like dude enjoy he got comfortable starting to, you know being a fat ass and eating everything and then after he looks at me, you know, cause the, the, um, the check comes in. I was like, I hate all of you. No, yeah, I got it. You know? And so, yeah. And luckily I'm like, oh, we're in Colombia. Thank you so much. This is so much cheaper. And I'm like, all right, cause I paid for 10 people, you know? So I'm just like, everyone got drinks too. So I'm like, I hate all of you because you know, the drinks are the most expensive part. And yeah. so we do this and I'm just like, Edgar, you have to look at it this way. I remember TJ took us out to eat one day, and I forgot the other people. Like, John Dotson has taken us out, and Donald Veroni. Like, I met some really high-level and respectful people. Benavidez is taking me out to eat. And they do the same thing, where they, they take care of their guys. And I remember when I was looking up, I'm just like, dude, I can't afford this. He goes, don't worry, I got it. I was like, I feel embarrassed because I feel like I don't belong here. And he goes, mentally, you don't belong here, but you're here, right? So you belong here. It's okay. And one day... You're going to look at this. You're going to make so much money or get to a point where you're comfortable enough and go, you know what, guys, we're going out to eat. Now I'm going to take care of you guys. And I told the same exact thing to Edgar. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the world works in a full circle because I, I like even still today, I look at a check. I'm like, I hate all of you, but I'm going to do it because now I know I can't afford it compared to when I was a kid. I was like, dude, how fast you guys run? You know, like this. Like, it was just so, it's so different, but it's also so fulfilling at the same time. Like, yeah, my pocket hurt a little bit after, but to be able to say that Edgar and, and hopefully years later from now, he's just like, I can do this. Now, with that being said, he ended up winning his fight by TKO and it was like a Rocky style fight where he drops a kid then he gets dropped and then he comes back and finishes them. And I was like, oh my God, you know, and I'm crying. I'm almost crying at the end of it. And I didn't know how much I could actually like care about someone in a fight usually i don't care i'm like ah if he loses he loses if he dies he dies but he did his thing and that that shows how much my foundation is being able to help people is is every t-shirt sale i have every little event i have i have my donation link on my website teamshorty.com slash foundation if people donate 100 of those proceeds and even on my t-shirt sales given i got to do more one of my t-shirt sales go straight to my foundation. I don't make money. I actually lose money in every fight that I have. I donate, I believe it's like eight to 10% of my check to to the foundation. So I want to help. And these little opportunities like that um, do so because they give them and they might actually change, they give them opportunity and possibly change their lives too. I mean, the, the biggest theme that just kept playing in my head for all those stories were the valuable relationships that you've been building over the years and I, it's one of my life missions too, is to build relationships of value. And it's not monetary value per se, obviously that turned into something for Dean, right? But mm -hmm. everything that's everyone that's been giving to you, giving to you, giving to you, and then you start paying it forward, whether it's, hey, you know, maybe you should talk to this person or, hey, I can buy you dinner now. I haven't been in that situation myself. It's like, man, that is just such a great feeling to have someone look out for you like that. So really happy to hear about that and just hear that's who you are because it makes sense with all the amazing talent you've been around. You know, people don't normally stick around unless 
they're contributing. So obviously you're providing more value than I'm guessing uh, you're getting paid for. But <laughs> that's, that's beautiful, man. I want to like I'm a huge fan of Kanye, even though a lot of people aren't aren't with him right now. He has this very simple saying. He's like, if you're not useful, you're useless. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a person that's like all things under God and this. I'm not a very religious person like that. But it's like, it, technically, man, we're here to serve. You know, and if you ain't here to serve, people aren't going to serve you. And that's 100 percent for sure. If you are useless, trust me, people will avoid you. And if you are a good energy, a good soul, a good person, people want to be around you, whether to take from you or to help you. By the way, you have the attention and it's like any publicity is good publicity, right? So for me, with my foundation, it's like I, I've, I've definitely learned some people you can't help. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. I've given money to people and I'm just like, hey, I'm just asking for a picture with a T-shirt. You know, you could just take a selfie. Why is this taking a month? You know, and it's like. Okay, if that's your work ethic, that's your work ethic. I hope you're the best in your fight. Cool. I'm not ever going to ask my money back. Like, hey, good for you. It worked out well. It didn't work out well. I tried to help. Cool. That was it. That's my, I call it community service. That was my good deed for the day. That's it. But if it works out well, then obviously, you know, it, it makes me feel good because I've always wanted to be a big brother and a father. It's like it helps me teach people and, 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 you know, Hey, I went right. Didn't work out the best. You should go left. And maybe they take that advice and do their own thing from there. And it's, it's phenomenal, especially as my amateur career too. It's like, I'm trying to be that, that blueprint as Manny Pacquiao was for me. It's like, this is the blueprint. All right, but you can only go so far using it. And now you have to go your own little way and create yours and people can do the same thing. Take the detour. And now, oh, now it's their own little way. So I'm hoping I can do that for a lot of the guys in my foundation. And there's plenty of more people I'm going to sponsor and, and help soon enough. Well, man, that's a, a bright future ahead of you. And just you, you got this recent crowning with Brave CF as a bantamweight champ. What's next for you, both inside and outside the cage? Um, I told them I want to fight again before the year's over. Um, I wanted to fight in March against my last opponent, and then the whole event got canceled because of politics in that country. They moved it to April, and then my opponent had passport issues, and they're like, "We really want you to fight this guy." I'm like, "Dude, that's cool. I get it." but I also need to get paid. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I need money. Um, and for people who don't know, you don't get paid to train. I could be traveling to all these things. I'm paying for that. You know? So it's, you know, I'm spending thousands of dollars in this training camp from traveling to living to car rental to food, which food in Vegas is really expensive. Um, and, and all these different things. So it's like, Oh, two camps back to back canceled, and everybody knows, especially in the states, organic food gets very expensive. So, um, makes me wish to go back to chemicals again because that stuff was great, um, it was delicious and cheaper. But, um, which also makes weird sense. It's like you put more stuff in your food chemical wise, but it costs less compared to where it's organic and it costs more. But, anyways, um, I, uh, yeah, that's my ADHD. That's where that's where it kicks in. But it's like no worries. I, I love all the talking too, man. You keep going because uh, the oh, longer podcasts do long do better for some reason. I don't know what it is. I'm always like, are we going to lose people? But the, my best ones are you know the 35 minute plus ones. So keep going. Quite quite question before I say my next statement is like, can am I able to swear? Because I know I've been swearing here and there. Oh yeah, no, you're good to swear. Yeah yeah. That's, okay, uh, cool. I usually don't shut the fuck up. So yeah. with, with that being said, it's like. I also need to get paid to fight. I need to make a living. And even though I get paid one, I can do one fight a year technically. It's like, man, I got goals and aspirations and I want to invest in stuff and I need that money to do so comfortably. So I want, I wanted to fight. So I got the fight in August. Everything worked well. You know, I'm still a little beat up to where I can't kick on my left foot because I kicked his knee like 20 times in the fight. And then 
I got sutures in the fight where I still have a little bald spot. I don't know if you can see, mm -hmm. but uh, I have like a small scab that like the cut is closed. So every once in a while, if I decide to roll, somebody like grabs it hard, the scab comes off. So I'm like, all right, one more week, one more week, one more week. So uh, trying to figure that part out. So I can't really fully train, but I want to fight early December and kind of end the year off strong so I can buy my family some nice Christmas presents. And then, um, yeah, man. So I'm hoping to defend my belt overseas somewhere because Brave always travels. Actually, they are, uh, I think, going to their 29th or 30th country, um, September 7th, which I believe is tomorrow. What is tomorrow? In, no, two days on Thursday. And um, they're going to be globally the most traveled promotion in the world, which is phenomenal. So uh, they're in France for this week. And then we'll see what happens in October if they have another event. That's crazy. I mean, with Titan, they're they're they're, they're battling it out. Titan, the UFC, and Brave, man, they're all over the place. Well, you touched yeah. on something really important that I try to talk a lot about here too, is the sponsorships and how that's a lifeblood for MMA fighters and co all of combat sports, really, right? Even the Olympic wrestlers, right? They're not given. There, I don't think people understand what it's like to train seven days a week and carry a job nonetheless not having a job and everything else you have to do out there but i would love if you could just tell me or feel free to give out any sponsor shout outs um so i can make sure to include them and that they're getting their props my, my biggest sponsor for the last fight was OnlyFans. you know only fans uh has been sponsoring a lot of athletes uh especially mma fighters because they want to kind of break the stigma which i i don't i don't know if it's ever too late but it's also kind of too late where everyone's like only fans what you doing on there, man? And I'm just like, what? So OnlyFans is a, is a streaming platform made for, essentially in the start of it, it was made for YouTube creators that weren't making enough revenue. Or, for example, just for me, I had my, my own page called Inside Team Shorty that I had, I think, almost close to 100 videos, but I had like maybe 700 subscribers at the time. No matter how many views you get, you need a thousand subscribers to be able to monetize. Mm -hmm. So I'm spending all this time, money on people filming me and this stuff like that. I think they're great videos, but there wasn't many subscribers, so it wasn't making any money. So OnlyFans goes, hey, you can do the same thing on my platform, put it on there, and if you wanted to, you can just charge people $5 a month to watch it or just $5 per video or whatever. You can you know individualize it and even do personal videos for people if they wanted extra content. It's like, oh, damn, people can just pay for whatever you want, and some people are really big supporters that really want to pay it. It's like, damn, that's that's awesome. So they did that given – Porn stars and models and all that stuff took advantage of the whole opportunity. Good for them because I'm not going to shame them. Good for them. I've had <laughs> sex workers in my family. Trust me. Good for you. But um, it's like, and no one's touching you for this. Dude, that is awesome. So um, with this, it's like I just put up all of my training camp videos, my food blogs. I do a lot of mental health videos as well and just training camp videos. And I put it on there. And if anyone wants exclusive content, I only – I don't charge – to, to have a subscription. My stuff is 100% free. Maybe if I get more popular one day and I gain a certain amount of subscribers on OnlyFans, I could charge, but I really don't want to. They OnlyFans already pays me separately to be on there per fight, and they paid me to be on there for the year. So it's like, I'm really happy what I have with OnlyFans and be able to have that type of opportunity and, and support from a company is, is phenomenal. Plus I had others like a jewelry shop, Claudia's Jewelry Shop, um, Matt Zapala, the Money Smart Movement. Um, you know, so all these people that want to support me, you know, KHK MMA, 
Um, it, it's just, it's been phenomenal. And I, like you said, you can't do this without sponsors. Like amateurs hit me up every day talking about, Hey, I need this. I need that. It's like, dude, go to a local bar, go to a local shop that, that, that supports the local softball teams and local sporting events. Like those are the people that want to help. Cause they might bring them business too, but they also feel good doing it. A lot of these companies, especially if you're amateur, they're not going to get any gain out of it. They just want to help, you know, and it doesn't hurt to ask. Obviously, it could hurt to ask the way you might ask it, <laughs> but if you do it appropriately, like, hey, a closed mouth does not get fed. And in this sport, sadly, there's a lot of introverts in MMA. This is why we fight. We just be a lot of people are Derek Lewis. They just want to fight. My balls are hot. They want to cool it off at home, and that's it. <laughs> you know, so they need to open up. And if you do open it up, you know, like he does, make it funny, make it worth it, and go out there and play and see what happens next. So all the sponsors out there watching this too. I, I need some new sponsors, but you know, I, I appreciate you just supporting all the athletes out there. And it does a lot more than what you even believe. No, I, I appreciate that too, man. And I, it's bringing the light to that is super important. I'm actually, uh, anyone listening to this, or if you know anyone, I'm hosting a free LinkedIn webinar where I'm helping people learn about LinkedIn, how they can brand themselves. It's, it's focused on combat sport athletes as well, actually, which um, LinkedIn's giving a lot of power to. So I, I, that's one of the things I, I, I want people to be doing is going out there and finding them, finding the brands they align with and using their personal story, their kind of all, all their own authentic take on what they mean to that brand and using that to find sponsors. And I'm just, I want to share those stories like you're sharing with OnlyFans. One, that's a huge thing, not being censored. I, I mean, going back to Alex, he had all of his followers taken away. And like they said that he went to uh, Instagram purgatory, like meta purgatory, like they couldn't find where his account was. And randomly they gave him back his check mark. And this was like way before, but didn't give him back any of his fans. And that took money out that guy's mouth. So kudos to OnlyFans and giving people those those avenues for being able to make that money and be real creators, right? And it's just it's the censorship. When you take out the censorship, you're seeing a lot more cool stuff most of the time. But man, I, thank you so much for doing this. It means a lot. You come out in there and just getting really deep with these stories. I think a lot of people are going to get value from this. And it's just, it means a lot to me for you to be here today. Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you making the time for me as well, the patience. And uh, man, I, I try to be as real as possible. I know sometimes it gets dark, but you need sometimes that darkness to be able to see the light. You know, So it, it really is that true statement of everyone especially on social media if people want to follow me jose shorty tours on instagram i put mental health posts out every single day um and they're all on different topics and most of them majority of the time are on topics that i've dealt with before either i'm dealing with now or i know someone dealing with it now so i kind of got the idea of putting three videos or mental health um story posts out there and go hey maybe you can relate to this and maybe it helps you see things a little more logically or at least know that you're not alone in this process you know that people you're not you're not the only one that has gone through a breakup that has that's gone through a loss whether it's a job person opportunity or just anything in general and and you know i, I want to be able to help people as much as possible and hopefully get people's full potential out there so that's why i do mental health posts but dude i appreciate your time i appreciate your love and support as well and um sorry that you know alex but you know it's part of the process <laughs> and uh, i told you and uh you know it's it's with that being said, for people who don't know, Alexander Crossland is, uh, you know, creating something called the Fight Dope, and I'm gonna be the host of it. We're gonna do a lot of fun stuff, and we have two videos actually coming out. One with Curtis Blades. Um, we're jumping, or that that's a different one. We we go to the Elledge theme park, and if you don't know who Curtis Blades is, he's a 265 pound gigantic guy, and I have to bring up the stereotype because he's a big black dude that is scared of everything. And me, I'm like the little Mexican, but I'm like Jackie Chan. 
You know, so yeah, I don't know if you ever seen uh, Chris Tucker in Rush Hour Two, where Jackie Chan's like climb, climbing up the bamboo building, chasing these guys, and Chris Tucker runs up and he's like, "Don't worry, I'm coming up." And he goes to climb, and one guy falls, and he's like, "Oh <laughs> hell no!" And he's like, "I'm gonna take the stairs." Like that's that that was Curtis the entire time. Like every ride that we went on was his last ride. You know, so it's really hilarious and really fun. Also some kids dropped a slushie on me and I almost kicked the kid in video. So um, <laughs> that's on there too. It's actually really funny. I, I wanted to fuck this kid up. Um, and then luckily I wasn't wearing nice shoes. And then the next day, Brandon Roy Val and a group of his guys jumped out of some planes and skydived with the Red Bull guys. So, and Brandon Roy Val was the main character and he had the special jump with the Red Bull guy, and I'm actually really happy I did it because holy crap, I would have been seasick. He did maybe like 20 spins in a row before they Whoa. even got down, and Brandon was like, dude, you ever play that game where you're drunk and they put the bat and you have to like do circles? He goes just like that, but 20 times faster. It was pretty much that. That's wild, man. Well, uh, I'm, I'll be looking out for those videos and uh, actually have Alex coming on soon too, so hopefully we'll get those out soon and I'll make sure to share those videos, but... Hey, man, once again, congrats on the new project with Fight Dope. Thanks for being here today and can't wait to see you back in the ring. I appreciate it, man. Enjoy the rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Thank you.